Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning. That video taught me a couple of very important things. The first is that I clearly have some favorite shirts. Uh, the blue shirt came up twice. I realized this morning when I looked at it, I was like, man, I wore this like a couple weeks ago on screen. So clearly, I have a love for this shirt and a fondness. More importantly, we have made it through Romans. You all, this has been an amazing journey. I hope you have learned from it as much as I have. I know I have very much appreciated our conversations together. That said, with Romans 16, Paul does not leave us off the hook. He sneaks into what looks like a passage of just greetings, and right in the middle of that, those greetings, he offers an important teaching on unity in the body of Christ, and we're going to look at that this morning. I will say, uh, look at that greeting. There are some interesting names, and they are given some interesting titles. So when you leave here, do read that greeting and read into it, because there's some interesting, fun things there. But in the middle of this greeting, like I said, he puts this very important teaching on unity, and I'm going to read the passage for us. It's Romans chapter 16, verses 17 to 19. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So what type of division is Paul talking about here? Well, he seems to be specifically referring to a teaching that Gentile Christians must become fully Jews or fully Jewish in order to participate in Christ. But his instructions also apply to a broader unity that, that helps us today. So part of what Paul is warning against is a cultural complacency. In Paul's day, Jewish Christians preferred to remain fully Jewish. And undoubtedly, this is because of change in and of itself. I don't know if you know this or not, but as human beings, we prefer not to change. Uh, there, within change is this hidden a kind of apprehension of a fear of loss. And so change is difficult. And these traditions for these Jewish Christians were passed on faithfully for generations, carefully handed down from their ancestors. And if we set the change issue aside for a moment There was also a more pressing issue for most Jewish Christians, and that was persecution. Being Jewish meant having a free pass from Roman persecution. So to break away from Jewish tradition was also quite dangerous. In other words, 
it was easier to be Jewish. It was more comfortable to be Jewish. It was safer to be Jewish. With his letter to the Romans, Paul is helping to form a new community, one that is dedicated to the truth of the gospel. And for a community to survive, it must be united. That is as true for us today as it was for the church in Rome in Paul's day. We must be united. But what unites us? Now, before we answer that, I think we need to talk through what cannot unite us. And the first thing that I believe we have to wrestle with or realize that cannot unite us is contemporary culture. Contemporary culture cannot unite us. Simply put, our society does not value the same things that Christ values. In John 17, right before Jesus was crucified, he prayed this over his followers. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus' concern is that we live in this world, and as we live in this world, that we don't adopt the values of this world, because that temptation will be there with us, ever-present. And the values of this world are severely marred by sin. This makes sense, because we know that we all have a sinful nature wired within us because of the fall, and collectively coming together, the things that all of society values reflects that marring of sin. And as such, we are tempted to constantly elevate things up as a savior instead of putting all of our salvific hopes in Christ. If you remember back a couple of weeks, Pastor Adam talked through several of the idols that Protestant pastors identified. And that list includes these things. Comfort, control or security, money, approval, success, social approval, political power, sex, and romantic love. And all of these idols, if we get to the core of the issue, are all about me and mine. Furthermore, in order to acquire as many of these idols as I can, in order to have as many of these things that I think will make me happy, I have to look after good old number one. I have to be selfishly motivated and selfishly driven. But selfishness destroys unity. Say that with me. Selfishness destroys unity. The image that comes to mind for me is that of a three-legged race. By show of hands, how many of you have participated in a three-legged race? Oh, there has to be way more than that. Come on. Confession time. Three-legged race. I have participated in many of these, particularly as a youth pastor, I have to tell you that my personality is not wired for icebreaking events or activities or anything else for that matter that I deem might feel embarrassing. Uh, that's to say, maybe you shouldn't invite me as your first person to develop a party or something like that. My idea of a party is like talking theology and philosophy. That's just how I'm wired. If you want to talk about a good time, let's do that together. I don't want to run a three-legged race. 
I have, however, watched a lot of them, and I laugh at them hysterically. They are so much fun to watch. And I thought I was going to bring to you this morning a hysterical video of a lot of falls, but YouTube failed me. But so that we're, this image is going to be prevalent for the whole sermon, so I need you to have three-legged race in your mind, so I brought this video. Uh, so please watch it. Oh, there's one. There's, let's, can you do that again? I don't know if you caught the woman at the end. It's my favorite part of this video. There's the first one. Oh, oh, there she goes. I just love to watch that. There's probably something wrong with me. I think that that is so funny. Um, as a long-time watcher of three-legged races, there's an obvious key to being successful at these. It's to move as one, to move in unity. To truly function as God designed us involves moving together as the body of Christ, sharing the gifts that we have to compensate for the weaknesses that we have. Now, it's just like in the three-legged race. The moment that we begin to turn in and focus on ourselves is the very moment where we have the highest propensity to crash, to fall on our face. So to keep in unity with one another as a community dedicated to Christ means turning our focus away from idols, turning our focus away from these things that are about me and mine, and collectively focusing on Christ together that will keep us moving in the same trajectory as one. We're going to get into a little bit more on that later. So we cannot turn to contemporary culture to unite us. It will actually divide us by attempting to focus on me and mine. Now, we also cannot turn to our conscience to unite us. And this might be a little bit more surprising to you, and we'll explain what I mean about that. Just as a reminder, your conscience is that little voice in your head that helps you to differentiate between right and wrong. Some people describe it as a gut feeling, you know, that feeling in your gut that you get that I should do this or I shouldn't do that. It's something that we as Christians all too often mistake for the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about learning how to differentiate these two a little bit. But here's why our conscience cannot unite us. Our conscience is simply our subconscious layer of thought. It's informed by our experiences, the things that we watch on TV, the movies we watch, the TV shows, the music that we listen to, the uh, tremendous life experiences we've had, the horrendous life experiences we've had. In short, it's very biased. And it's very much impacted by the society and the culture in which we live. And so all of the things that are, we're consuming on a day-to-day -day basis, either cognitively or unconsciously, all make up our thinking process of our conscience. But that's not just the worst of it. In his unfinished work on ethics, Dietrich Bonhoeffer suggests that our conscience has also been damaged by the effects of sin. And that makes sense, right? If our heart 
was negatively rewired due to sin, then our minds also would be negatively rewired by sin. And Bonhoeffer links the work of our conscience back to the temptation of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. So you have to think all the way back to Genesis 3, and here is what the servant tells Eve. For God knows that when you eat from the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. For Bonhoeffer, our conscience is our mind's attempt to define for ourselves what is good and what is evil. The problem with our conscience functioning in this way is that we only know evil apart from God. Our exposure to evil is the direct consequence of our sinful nature, of our sin, of our fallen state, of our breakaway in disunity with our Creator. That is how we know evil. The change in humanity during the fall, and this is where the serpent was so crafty, was not an adding to, but a subtracting from. And so we are able to be exposed to evil, not because we were given something, but because of the, most, the thing that made us the most special was instantly gone, that unity with our Creator. So all of our true knowing is wrapped up in our relationship with God. It's through God that we come to know the truth. It's through God that we come to know what is good. It's through God that we come to find happiness. Apart from God, we cannot know truth. Apart from God, we cannot know good. And apart from God is our only experience of evil. That's all to say that we are ill-equipped to define good and evil on our own. And when we try to do this, when our conscience tries to define for us on its own what is good and what is evil, what we are doing is elevating ourselves to a God status. We are saying, I am God. I can define these things. And to define for ourselves what is good and what is evil is just another form of idol worship. It's self worship. Our conscience, just like the other idols we pursue, is concerned with me and mine. So our conscience leads not to unity, but to disunity. Disunity with God and disunity with one another. So a following culture and following our conscience both lead to disunity. What can unite us? Well, since I'm the one preaching, you know there has to be three things, right? Has to be three things that can unite us, at least is the way I see it. Here are the three. Submission to Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and actions defined by Scripture. Submission to Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, actions defined by Scripture. And we'll talk about these through the analogy of our three-legged race. Let's lean into submission to Christ a little bit more. In verse 19 of our passage, Paul says, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. Obedience. 
to be obedient. We must submit our will to the will of another. For Paul, obedience is submitting our will to Christ's values. It involves trading our values for what Christ values. And the command of Christ that requires our obedience is this, to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's go back to our three-legged race example for a minute. People that are good at the three-legged race do a couple of things well. First, they focus on the end goal and not on themselves. As their eyes are fixed on the finish line together, their hearts, minds, and wills are all united, striving to get to the same place together. But if their focus is on something different, they are sure to fall because they're no longer able to function in unison, in unity. As various members that make up the body of Christ, we must all have our eyes fixed on Jesus, collectively submitting our desire to be like God so that together we may serve God in unison. The second thing that good three-legged race runners do is to create a strong bond. They make sure that when they tie these ropes or whatever device is being used to link their legs together, that it's not going to break or fail on them in the middle of the race, or they will be disqualified. So that when movement and friction happens, their legs will not come apart. This helps them to stay in sync. We too need a strong bond to keep us in sync. And as we submit our wills to Christ's will, Christ empowers us with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our bonding agent. This is the second thing that unites us, the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that keeps all of us moving together in harmony as a body. And to do so, he equips us with gifts, abilities, and gospel passions. He convicts us of sin so that we don't get entirely out of sync by focusing our eyes on the wrong things. And he encourages us to keep following Christ, especially on the really hard days. To stay united requires the grace-filled work of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that good three-legged race runners do is play by the rules. Of course, the rules to the game are simple. Start at the starting line when someone says go. Stay connected with one another and run to the finish line. Don't you wish the rules of life were this simple? Don't you wish life was just this basic? If only life had a rule book, wouldn't it be wonderful? Unfortunately, and I don't know how to break this to you if you've never heard this or discovered this yet, there really isn't a rule book to life. Not even the Bible is designed to be a rule book or a self-help manual. And because our conscience is affected by so many different things, especially the cultural values we expose ourselves to, we just can't trust the little voice in our head. So what do we do? Even though scripture is not a rule book or a self-help guide, it is the primary means 
through which God has chosen to reveal himself to us. In this way, it serves as the third thing which unites us. So if we desire to surrender our will to God's will, then we must learn as much about God's will as we can. And that's revealed to us in the Scriptures. When we come to these Scriptures asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the heart posture and the character attributes and the passions of God, that when He illuminates our heart and soul to that, He's also syncing it up with God's will and God's desire. So it means we must get to know our Scriptures really well. Not just reading the same story a hundred times, but as we read these stories, we actively ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds to the values and passions of God so that we can come to the Scriptures for more about who God is, His character, His values. And it's through this depth of relationship with God that we learn His heart and are able to align our heart with His heart. It's through this relationship that we can truly learn what is good and what is evil. At Redeemer, we often talk about taking our next step. So what's your next step this morning to deepen that relationship with your Creator? Perhaps it's actively surrendering your will this morning to God's will. Perhaps it's learning how to enter into a deeper place of worship on Sunday mornings or a deeper place in worship in your day to day. Maybe it's reading the Bible for the first time all the way through. Maybe it's reading the Bible for the hundredth time all the way through. Perhaps it's creating more space to spend more time with God. If this is all about relationship, what type of quality time are you spending with Him? To help with some inspiration, we do have a ministry fair this morning. And so what we'd love for you to do is after worship, if you're not connected in any way at Redeemer, we have a lot of different things that could help you in your next step. So please go over uh, to Redeemer Hall and figure out ways that you can make your next step. Don't leave here this morning without committing to God and to yourself the way that you're going to deepen your relationship with Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you love us. Lord, we stand in awe that you are willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments where we make you chase us. Help us to stop in our tracks and to turn around and to be embraced by your loving arms. Lord, this morning, may your Holy Spirit illuminate in our hearts what our next step is to deepen that relationship that you sacrificed everything for. Although we actively run from you, you chase us, and you sacrificed your Son so that we might have a deep, abiding relationship with you. Help us to return that love to the only thing that really matters, which is you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.